reading and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple of pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially that it would be equipping for pastors or teachers or other leaders who might be working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Jerome Van Kuyken. Jerome is a friend and colleague of mine. He teaches theology at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, a sister institution of ours in Oklahoma, obviously from the title. Um, And he and I have uh, intersected over the years in our life and career. And I, uh, I look up to Jerome a lot. He's one of the most knowledgeable and intelligent uh, persons I've ever had the opportunity to dialogue with on just about any subject matter. He has one of these kind of polymathic capacities to just uh, know about everything. And it's just, he's just a blast um, to talk with. And I hope that the fun that we had geeking out on our passage uh, will be of um, some uh, benefit to you as well. Um, this week's text is Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31, Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player of app of choice so that others may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with you. All right, so uh, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts. We're looking at Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 22. Obviously, there's a larger context as always, but we use this as the jumping off point. 22 through 31. Acts 22 through 31. Um, Jerome, would you be uh, willing to read the passage, and then I'll say a word of prayer for our conversation? All right. So I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. Here we go. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, 
because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Wow, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Let us pray. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we give you thanks for all your good gifts to us. We give you thanks for the very gift of being, for our existence, for you are our creator. Even when things are turbulent and chaotic, the fundamental fact of our being remains a gift. And so we give you praise and thanks for our existence. Uh, We give you thanks also for our life, for those of us who live. We give you thanks for this great gift that rests in you and you alone. We give you thanks for your word, the word of God that became flesh in your son, Jesus Christ, the word of his gospel that burst forth upon your resurrecting him from the dead, and the word that Paul spoke to the Athenians, and the word that Luke uh, narrates and captures and summarizes here. Lord, we ask that your word would come in our midst now, not only as mere human words, but with power and authority by your Holy Spirit. We ask this not only for Jerome and myself as students and teachers of the word, but for all those listening in, whatever role they have to play in their communities, surely anybody bothering to listen into this is a word bearer of some kind, even if it's merely bearing the word on behalf of a close friend or family member or preparing a sermon or teaching for for a community, whatever kind of word bearing you have appointed them to, Lord, we ask that your word would come amidst us this hour in the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks for reading, Jerome. So, what uh, what jumps out at you today? I know you know and love this passage, and I gave you a few choices, and you picked this one quickly, but. Uh, we try to be fresh every time. What, what do we see? What's, uh, what's capturing your, your heart and mind as you read this today? Well, a few things. One, I went through it and counted up the number of times that all or every, everyone, Ooh. every place, those sorts of things factor in here. And uh, they show up in, in 10 verses, forms of all or every appear nine Ten. Times. Nine? They're wow. Nine yeah. So there's this strong emphasis on the universality. Oh my heavens. Man, let's just of the Greek the gospel. Man, we could just go through those. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah so verse twenty two, right? Paul yeah. stood in the midst of the Arab office, men of Athens, I've certain that you're religious in all respects. Mm-hmm. According to a kata pantan, right? Uh, according to all things. Um and then is there one in the next verse? I don't think so, right? Or No, next one is in verse 24. The God who made the cosmos and all things. Right? Make sure I'm looking at that right. Yeah, and all the things that are in it. Oh, heavens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then 25. 
gives to everyone, life and yes. birth and everything. Verse 26, every nation of human beings upon every surface of the earth. <laughs> wow. Yep. 26, every nation of humans. I'm sorry, that's the same one. Uh, next one is uh, verse 30. Now God proclaims to all humans everywhere. Yes. And a judge. Uh, the world, by uh, the man he's designated, he's granted to everyone assurance of this or proof of yeah. this or however we want to translate that. Perosco. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and so you started to comment on that observation then that it has something to do with universality of God's mm-hmm. work as both creator and uh, as uh, – what is it in verse 30? I was going to say redeemer, but I don't want to fall into standard theological tropes, but um, we could call it repentance, right? <laughs> right. The right? To repent. right. So both, uh, both creation and, uh, or actually judgment in 31, because judgment yeah. is good news too. So, and for the Jews, that's a standard parallel, right? God is the one who gives life and, and brings, ju- he's, he, he, it's meet. What do we say when you die? You meet your maker, right? So he's the one who made you, and he's the one you face at the end. So yeah. Uh, so and it's no coincidence that Paul is saying this sort of thing in the heart of Athens. Yeah. So he's in a Gentile location. He's in the traditional heart of sort of universalistic philosophy mm-hmm. in the sense that. The, you know, the Greeks prided themselves on figuring out the principles that were true of all the world, the, the cosmos as a whole. We're going to lay down ethics and political structures and things like that that are true or ought to be true for everybody everywhere. Yeah, which is that which is itself linked in a complicated way, but correlated to uh, the, uh, you know, imperial uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> power of Greece as over all nations. So in many ways, I mean, if there's a a culture and a city, mm-hmm. even to be more specific, that would ha- have would would be able to compete yeah. with with some of these uh, attributes of God yeah. uh, in their time, it would be it would be Athens, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, but that's not the only background there. It's true. His immediate context is is Athens with all that it represents. But Paul in the speech is really drawing heavily on Deuteronomy 32, the Song of Moses. Oh, I never thought of that. Also talks about how God created everyone. He's the the father of all people. Uh, He Deuteronomy 32 uh, verses verses five and six talk about how human beings have become corrupt. They're no longer his children. Um, wow. He's your father, the one who created you, who established you. Yes. Um, verse 8, the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance. He divided humankind. He fixed the borders of the peoples, uh, which relates back to what Paul yeah, says. Yeah, that's He sets the boundaries for the nations. Uh, and then oh, it goes on. Deuteronomy 32 goes on. But by the end, it talks about how God is going to come with judgment and uh, the whole world will be burned up by the fire of his wrath, but at the same time, he will provide atonement for his for his people. 
and all the gods will bow down to him. Wow. I mean, that's so that back to the unknown God, right? All the bow down, yeah. all the, like, uh, like the dream in, uh, like Joseph's dream where all the, you mm-hmm. know, the, the stalks are, are bowing right. to the one stalk. It's almost like Paul's saying all these gods are going to bow down to this, this unknown one that you're, that you've left a spot for. Right. That's so helpful. That, that Deuteronomy background is really helpful for pushing against a tendency to read this passage as a kind of, for lack of a better term, a kind of uh, unbridled natural theology or something, right? right? Like, it's not like he's just, yeah. let's see what we can learn from the Athenians. Like, he's, it's actually kind of the other way around. He's saying, you know, right. let, me, let me tell you what you don't know. Yeah, I'll quote your poets. Of course, because God is from all, we would expect to find right. uh, signs and of his truth spread about. But mm-hmm. the, uh, the clincher is not just that the generic God happens to be the father of Jesus, right. um, but the, the God of Israel. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like that kind of election background that's emphasized even in Deuteronomy throughout Deuteronomy. And especially in yeah. 32 is this notion of there's nothing special about, it's not that Israel was better than the other nations. Mm-hmm. They were chosen for the sake of, to bless all nations in the way that God wishes to do so. And right. this is the fulfillment of that in many ways. Wow, yeah. that's so great. And they serve as sort of an epitome of, of the nations in that sense, because it would be possible to read Deuteronomy 32 when it talks about they're no longer as children. Don't you remember he was your father who created you as being specific to Israel? Israel yeah. is God's creation. Israel is as the children of God and that sort of thing. But Paul in, in this passage seems to broaden that out. And whatever is said of Israel is in miniature what's true of the relationship between God and the whole world. And then of course, then it, it uh, narrows down even further to Jesus as the faithful Israelite as Deuteronomy says, or as I'm sorry, as N.T. Wright would talk about. Um, yeah. Israel in miniature. Jesus encapsulates what Israel was meant to be. And indeed what the world was meant to be. Yeah. And I guess that, that brings us to kind of one of the deep sort of theological questions is in a way, the kind of relation between those three aspects, mm-hmm. right? How, how is the universality of God relate to the particularity of God in Israel vis-a-vis yeah. as it were the singularity mm-hmm. of God in relationship to right. Jesus? Yeah. And, and it, Paul gives some hints of that here in that he talks about how all nations came from one ancestor. Hmm. And then at the end, he introduces again, that's one man who is going to, through whom God will judge the world. So there's an Adam Christ typology going on here. Yeah. Where's the, where's the one ancestor thing? I believe Uh, I'm trying to remember where it is. Right. Uh, Verse 26 from one, uh, one ancestor, one man, uh, one person who made all nations. That's ambiguous though, isn't it? (laughs) It is. Um, But if you go back to Deuteronomy 32 and the Septuagint, which assumedly is what Paul would have been using in the background, verse eight of Deuteronomy 32 actually names Adam when he divided the sons of Adam. Ah. He fixed the borders of the people. Was that 32.8 you said? Yeah, 32.8 in the Septuagint. Wow, that's really, really good. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and dig in a little deeper. Okay.
And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm having a chat here with Jerome Van Kuyken, first-time uh, guest on the show. Uh, glad to have him here. Uh, we're looking at Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through uh, 32, I believe. Yeah, No, 31, I guess. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, as we continue to explore, and we can feel free to We've already jumped around a bit looking at Deuteronomy, um, looking at the context of his, his, uh, his conversation here. But uh, mm-hmm. feel free to – we can take this conversation wherever you want it to go. I don't have a very specific agenda. We'll land the plane in the third section and talk, uh, talk sermon starters. But uh, right. um, yeah, so go ahead. The Adam Christ thing. Tell me a little bit more about that if you want. We can go brief on that and then go wherever you want to go with it. But Oh, yeah. Well, we know from Paul's own writings that he operates with this Adam-Christ typology all the way through. Everybody comes from Adam, and he represents the problem of being subject to the law of sin and death. And then Christ is the one who comes along and fixes that problem and, and reheads the human race in himself. And so you see that, I think, subtly here. Yeah. But yeah, it wouldn't make sense to make it explicit. They wouldn't be able to track it. Yeah. 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 But even his claim that everybody came from one. Oh, that's. Is, is flying in the face of what the Greeks would have thought of themselves. Mm. Right. As descended from, you know, their own kind of unique uh, Olympic kind of. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they even use that language of, Oh, it's funny because sometimes we'll use the language of Adam. Sometimes, sometimes Adam Christ typologizing when Gentile Christians use it can actually be a way of accidentally or sometimes even intentionally sidelining the covenant with Israel, right? As if that's right. a detour, right? Right. Um, rather than the plan. And um, I mean, how many times do I, heard sermons refer to like Genesis 12 as plan B, which I just makes me want to puke. But what I'm hearing you say is, and I'm teasing it out. So push back if I'm mis- mistracking you, but like there's almost kind of a, as proper typology works, it points both directions, right? So you actually get a sense of which the, the vision that Israel had of all the nations coming from one person was itself uh it follows the same logic of election just as all the nations are blessed through one nation and then messianically all humans are blessed through this one messiah so also it's fitting that all flesh is in relation to god as their creator come from one human and that isn't you're right that isn't actually the standard view of especially imperial powers who tend to think of themselves as exceptional in origin and therefore divinely appointed to dominate the barbarians right yeah yeah i never thought of the power of adam christology as as pushing against that yeah well and in the early modern period then uh, for instance when the discussion of uh, polygenism the the uh, human race as not being just one race, but a variety of races yes. that sprung up various times and places, ways, that becomes used to justify a, a racially imperialist agenda. Yeah. So colonialism, so this imperialism, this is the kind of universalism that I worry about. 
Right. You know what I mean? This is the kind of, I mean, uh, this will be, this may be uninteresting to uh, some of our listeners, but I know you'll at least get a kick out of a drone. But like I had a friend once in uh, grad school said, we were talking, I was having a conversation, me and my friend Matt and him, and, and, and he said something about, well, that's the problem with you Bardians. And for the listeners, Jerome knows I study Bard. Jerome studies Bard too in a different way. And we're, and so it's a history, but, uh, and very relevant to a passage like Acts 17, it raises these worries, right? right. But uh, so that's a problem with you Bardians. You always think the Nazis are around the corner. And me and my friend Matt at the same time said, but they are. <laughs> and, and that's what I mean when I, not to bring up the Nazis, sorry, but the, um, but uh, the, the notion of a certain kind of view of the world as kind of right. stratified and there's certain sort of races or uh, cultures that are, have their own kind of origin story. Um, however, that's framed, whether it's framed evolutionarily or mythically as it probably would have been for a lot of Greeks how tied that is up with colonialism and imperialism and the kind of bad universality. Right. Uh, and, and so that's what's so interesting that you, we started this conversation with the all the nine pawn P a N Ponta or pawn. It's such a bummer by the way, that all is so tiny in English type. It's this right. a and these two skinny L's. So it's almost the size of like at, you know, it's like this tiny word. And whereas yeah. in Greek, it really stands out more. Ponta right. is this big, just visually. Yeah. I wonder if that has an effect on sometimes even the way we read the well, New Testament certainly. in English. It makes all this kind of small little adjective rather than this. Right. Yeah. You know, well, and the fact that we have to use two different English words depending on yes. you know, all and every in that, order to get where in Greek it's all the same <laughs> word. Yeah, you're right. Word. So there would be almost impossible to translate this and get all nine alls to come out as either all or every Right. consistently and yeah. it still sound like English. <laughs> yeah. Although I'll sometimes do it. I'll call it the all things instead mm-hmm. of everything. I'll just say with the right. dash, you know, to kind of, yeah. or to capital, I capital the all sometimes just to try to draw attention uh-huh. to it when it's, when it's thematic and to see them, to see Paul as on the one hand, yes, he's presenting an all that's inclusive of the of these Gentiles and these Greeks, but he's it's it's a critical inclusivity though that's saying right. it's a different vision of how universality works. Yes. Right? It's a it's a vision of oneness that comes from the one God, not the many gods, that comes right. from the one human race, not the competing races, that comes from the one nation of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. And just goes to show how, how, how much the election of Israel is fundamentally not a kind of racist colonial enterprise, but precisely its correction, its counter by God, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, thank you. That, that really helped me think through some of these issues that the text was raising, at least in my brain. And, and again, for all listeners who they kind of, if they kind of faded out there, uh, maybe we'll, uh, we'll go in a new direction now, but uh, <laughs> um, Jerome, where, uh, what, where else did you want to go? You were about to say something when I cut you off earlier. Was there something else that was, was drawing your attention? Oh, well, just uh, real briefly, this idea that he has of God puts people where they're at so that they might reach out for him, grope oh, after him. That, that sort of language actually doesn't come from Deuteronomy 32. It comes from wisdom of Solomon. Ah, yeah. Uh, so 
I have thirteen six. Is that yeah. what you were thinking of? That's the one I had in my uh Yeah. And so I, I do think Wisdom of Solomon is a helpful background for understanding Paul's thought, not just here, but in Romans as well. Yeah, the layers here are so cool, right? Especially because wisdom is both wisdom of Solomon is both wisdom literature, but has some apocalyptic mm-hmm. twists, right? right? Occasionally. Yeah. Uh the way the word of God comes out leaping forth like a sword, you know, like, so there's some, yeah. and obviously the last note here is very apocalyptic. It's God is coming to judge and his Mm -hmm. resurrection is, um, and it's kind of neat to see Paul as remembered by Luke here, engaging in this kind of, it's, it's so cool, right? He's got this kind of, these points of contact with the, with the Gentile poets, the Greeks, yeah. starting with their unknown God and then the, and then kind of moving to groping, which kind of fits a kind of Jewish conception of what the other nations are up to. Right. But all kind of in this deeper Deuteronomy framework and Deuteronomy yeah. is really key in the book of Romans too, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's some key quotes and even some allusions. So the thought that like all of a sudden this sermon, which seems the most at first glance, given his at least initial kind of like positive gesture towards the pagans seems very un-Pauline. If, if all you did was read this and read most of Paul's letters at yeah. first glance, you'd be like, this isn't Paul. Luke's putting words in his mouth. I used to think that, you know, in my right. old days, but the more I've studied this passage and even today you're converting me even more to kind of see that the deep structure of the sermon is very much Pauline. It's this Deuteronomy, this wisdom of Solomon, this picture of, of election of, of the, the all coming through the one. Wow. Yeah. Well, and then helps. Yeah. That helps a lot. Even at the end there. Now our English translations talk about how God in verse 31 Mm-hmm. He'll have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. Of this, he's given assurance uh, to all. Yeah. Well, of course, in in Greek, that's actually pistis. Yeah. There and there is no t- to all. It's just he's he's granted assurance. Well, excuse me. There is. It is. It's just one. it's whoever. a word later. Yeah. Pisten. Yeah. Uh, but piston paroxcone. Yeah. Pisten anastasis autun ek necron. So. So faith, right faith, faith, having been given, having been per- provided to all right. in in uh, a resurrecting him out of de- out of the dead ones. Right? Would right. that be kind of yeah? So, so if in. you look at that last line, it's almost an outline of Romans one through eight. Oh heavens! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! That's genius. Have you written this somewhere? That's brilliant. No, that just, I just recognized that work. Just now? This passage that this, this past week. Oh, that's brilliant. In this one man whom he, that, that designated as the same verb in Romans one, mm-hmm. right? In Romans one verse, what, three or four, when it says he's designated right. by resurrection as the, as, mm-hmm. as the son. And then the faith that goes to all. Yeah. Um, and, and it's that notion of faith as something that God does, mm-hmm. that then also invites us and our faith. It, yeah. 
Holy moly, that's cool. Wow. Yeah, and the judgment to come, even the very first half of the sentence is the judgment. Mm -hmm. Is that what you were kind of meaning? That's kind of the opening, like chapters one and two and three, they're kind of judgments coming, right? The kind of... (laughs) Yeah. The righteousness by faith. Wow. Uh, in in Christ, and of course, in, in Greek, there it's it's in the man He has appointed. Yep, and, in, and I think that's better actually to leave it in, mm-hmm. leave the ambiguity, because even judge can be translated rectify. I like right. to translate it that way, and justification mm-hmm. as rectification, just for fun sometimes, because right. it's it's making right, mm-hmm. right, yeah. uh, making things right, which includes uh, punishment condemnation, but also affirmation, recognition, uh, correction, right? It's including all these different things. Right. Yeah. Dude, yeah. that's brilliant, man. That You're right. That's just like the whole argument of Romans. Jeez, that's cool, man. That just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, you know, the negative view of, of the human response and particularly Gentile response to God's revelation through the things that have been made in the early chapters of Romans have sometimes been played off against what seems to be a positive view of natural revelation here in Acts 17. But I think, again, if you go back to Wisdom of Solomon 13, both the the precedent for what Paul says in Romans 1 and 2 and what he says here in Acts 17 are both there. And the fundamental logic of it is all in the doctrine of election that comes forth in Deuteronomy, especially in chapter 32, right? So, I mean, yeah. that, that's the background yeah. structure. And I mean, wisdom was a new way. Obviously, Israel had to think, rethink its own election in the right. diaspora, which is what you see happening in wisdom. But it's not like they say, oh, maybe we weren't special after all. Maybe we were just good people who followed the right. law in our hearts that's on everyone else. Like the Jews didn't go for that option. Even wisdom of Solomon doesn't do that. It has yeah. moments that might you could take that way, but it's not the, it's yeah. not the overall gist, at least not how I would read the book. Mm-hmm. And for those who listen in and you're like wisdom of Solomon was, I mean, this is one of these Deuterochronicle, one of these Greek books written in the so-called intertestamental period. And the, as I was growing up, I heard it as the 400 years of silence, which I didn't know was like a anti papist, uh, Protestant, uh, trope, but, uh, but these, these Greek, uh, these Hellenistic Greek, uh, Jewish texts that, uh, were produced in the the, the period uh, prior to Christ and Paul in that whole century, and some of which appear in in Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholic Bibles. So it, I know you will know all that, Jerome. That was just for some of our listeners. Like, what, what are yeah. you talking about? Wisdom of Solomon? Is this Song of yeah. Solomon? Is this Proverbs? Yeah. No, it's this other book that was written right. much later. And I would stress for our readers, our listeners, that regardless awesome of uh, well, regardless of. Uh, what you think about whether or not that book is inspired, it's incredibly helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Just like you couldn't understand uh, contemporary American evangelicalism without reading some of our best sellers, uh, without yeah. reading C.S. Lewis and yeah. Rick Warren and, you know, Tim LaHaye and Frank Peretti. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mean they're not canonical? They're not scriptural either? <laughs> You can't you can't fully understand yeah. Paul to the degree that you would otherwise if you don't have some some background in these books. And yeah, it's a re- Solomon, I think particularly. Yeah, it's a recurring debate in uh, in seminary and 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 just and theological education in general of kind of where to locate the intertestamental uh, material. Uh, 
do you th- do we think of it as New Testament studies? Like this is the prolegomena, the stuff you need to understand the New Testament, which I think it is, although it's also valid and interesting on its own terms. Yeah, but for, at least for New Testament studies, I would strongly, if, if you were to read, it, you know, after maybe Tobit, Wisdom of Solomon would probably be the next place I would encourage people to check out or maybe Maccabees, uh, you know, of these, these books that are, that would be um, in quote unquote Catholic Bibles that are really just wonderful reads and, and dynamic and, and very, very helpful for understanding the new Testament. Um, Cause this was just all in the air, you know? Right. Oh, that's really, really helpful. And there, and that's standard layers, like a good rabbi, right? He's got his Torah text. He's got his Deuteronomy, right? Mm-hmm. So the first five books and then the kind of prophetic, uh, I don't know if he has any specific texts in mind, but there, there's this is very prophetic kind of interpretation of of Deuteronomy, yeah. and then and then the writings. The next layer out from that would be these more uh, yeah. the wisdom of Solomon kind of stuff that's kind of uh, in play. Yeah. Wow! Thanks for bringing out some of those Old Testament back. I haven't done, I haven't spent enough time with this text. You clearly have, and I, I really appreciate that. I mean, just over the years, I haven't given it the uh, in. My Pauline studies, I've been too rigidly like reading Paul. And when I do Luke Acts, I really kind of think of it as his work, which it is because there are some, I mean, the Adam stuff you were talking about Paul, but also of course, Luke, unlike Matthew, when he does a genealogy goes back to Adam, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that's a parallel. Yeah. Well, and in terms of, of Luke's own interests in this, there's one other connection that I want to make. And that is between... Paul's speech here to the Areopagus and Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin. Ah, the hands, the not made with hands. Right. Yeah. Both of them stress that point that God does not live in handmade buildings. He's unbound by that. Wow. And that creates interesting then connections to both Paul and Jesus because Paul, because Jesus in the, the it's complicated the the way these quotes get because some of them are witnesses false witnesses or whatever but about rebuilding the temple not made with human hands same phrase and the book of hebrews uses this language not with human hands the tabernacle Mm -hmm. and paul uses it with reference to circumcision right the circumcision of human hand by human hands so this is a recurring larger theme too i mean not to get away the the main focus what you were saying of the kind of that's a really good, the parallel, and that creates almost kind of a contrast too of like the, the, you could see that there's a kind of Jewish form of rejecting election and the Gentile form of right. resisting election where it's like the, the Jewish form is to say, is to turn the election of Israel into just God is here in this temple. <laughs> we right. have him, right? And, yeah. and then, and which is really just a mirror image of Greek style imperial universalism. It's just, right. it's just not being imposed on others the way that um, the Greeks do. But, and their kind of resistance of election is to say, oh, well, we're doing our thing and you're doing your thing. And look at all these wonderful gods. And it's like, no, there really is one God <laughs> and salvation is of the Jews, <laughs> um, but it's for everyone. And it, yeah. he's bursting forth for everyone. That's <laughs> wow. I mean, I never never thought of how deeply connected this is to Stephen's speech, which yeah. Paul himself, Saul, uh, mm-hmm. over, you know, was watching the coats. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And which so is, to, to give yeah. those speeches, you know, for Stephen, 
he's addressing the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Jews in Israel. Yeah. Their, their highest religious and political body. <laughs> Here, Paul is addressing <laughs> the court of Athens. Because the Areopagus had some legal control over wow. what he could teach in Athens. Oh, heavens. Oh, that's so helpful. And, and so, to- you know, Rome may be the, the political and military center of the world of Paul's well, that's where the And that's where the whole book will end. Right. So in, the, in Athens, that way, that's relevant, right? Yeah. Athens is its intellectual center historically. You know, the center had actually shifted down to Alexandria. Yes, yeah. but, but it's still symbolically. Work, yes, just like the just like Jerusalem was no longer the center of Jewry either. Right. Yeah. I mean, Babylon, Alexandria, Antioch, Rome—these were massive Jewish communities yeah. that were, yeah. in many ways, more influential. Like Wisdom Solomon, probably written in Alexandria, yeah. um, and the Babylonian Talmud. You know, I mean, yeah. the standard rabbinic Pharisaical Judaism is is as much yeah. happening in Babylon and and. Antioch is Jerusalem, but Jerusalem's still the symbol of the center right. of Jewry, just like Athens still the symbol mm-hmm. in terms of the symbolic story that Luke wants to tell here, which is right. from Judea, you know, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This is the ends of the earth side right. more so than the, yeah. oh, that's yeah. such a deep, deep insight, Jerome. Thank you for that. Oh, that's great. Well, let's take a quick break if we can and come back and do some uh, sermon starters. Right. Well, welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury, and uh, my guest this week is Jerome Van Kuyken. And we're coming back uh, now to our third section and exploring some sermon starters. So you... uh, one, sometimes the conceit I say is to imagine we're uh, been called up at the last minute to prepare a prepare a sermon or a teaching of some kind, um, and we only have you know don't have a lot of time. What what would be our kind of angle, our focus, uh, maybe even an outline? Where, where would we run with this? And then we offer that to our listeners: say, steal it, make it your own, run with it. You know, right. um, yeah. what, what what are some ideas you have? Where where would you run with this, Jerome? Well, one thing to play off of the idea that both Stephen's speech and Paul's speech here emphasize that God is not bound to a particular location or temple or thing like that. It it really is relevant to right now when we're having to cancel our on-site church services. Oh, heavens. Yeah. So online. Yeah. So this will drop. Let me double check. We work ahead. I just want to Normally, you know, these are relatively evergreen, but that connection is so strong that it's kind of worth noting. I'm opening and clicking open now, but uh, my schedule. So this is going to drop for before the sixth Sunday, sixth Sunday of Easter. So it won't drop until, uh, you know, early May, but we're recording this and it's uh, it's late March um, and all signs indicate that uh, the that this social distancing regime is going to be continuing uh, into the summer. So I just wanted to mention to say that that that's a very relevant, it will likely be relevant when this is being heard. And if not, the, the experience will be fresh right? and will be relevant to ask about things we don't always ask about, which is uh, mm-hmm. 
um, our, because now that we have experienced this, we're going to be needing to think more deeply about uh, what does it mean to be a gathered community, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's, that's big Jerome. And you're right. They, you, we usually tend to think of it as it's one thing. It's one thing to say, I've seen a lot of people on, on social media quoting John four, right? Not on, yeah. not yeah. in Jerusalem. Right. But this is right. nice. Cause it's the flip. It's the, it's the flip around. Cause he's also questioning these, you know, non Jewish kind of con- right. modes of containment that are more polytheistic. So they would have lots of temples. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not, we, we're not going from one temple to a bunch of temples. We're not going, right. right? We're going, he's challenging the whole notion of containing mm-hmm. God. Right. Right. And at the same time, the, the perennial danger of just taking John four and running with it yeah. is the notion is, is individualizing it. Yep. Oh, well, I can have a relationship to God apart from the community. That's not what either Stephen or Paul are, no. are really getting at. The, the temple is the community. Because that, that would be with human hands as well, in a way. Mm-hmm. That would be another kind of temple of human hands, is for me to create my own little devotional individual life, right? <laughs> yeah. So the temple is, the new temple, the eschatological temple, is the community. Yeah. And whether that community is gathered through social media or at a particular physical location or whatever, we still need community. Mm-hmm. We're still stones in the big temple of God that's composed of Jews and Gentiles. With Christ as chief cornerstone. Right. Yeah. And chief also means first, the one you lay first, right? It's the, Oh, wow. I think that's, I think that's really, really, really helpful to push against the individualism. I mean, and in many ways, this experience is, is helping expose the limits of individualism because we all recognize it as a crisis to be disconnected. Um, And also recognizing that the, especially the digitally mediated modes of connection we engage in don't always enhance community. And actually you were telling me on the break, maybe it's worth sharing that that you had a friend who, or just someone you knew that had said they had, they'd gone off Facebook. They had taken a, they had, what was it? Tell it. Right. Yeah. So he said, I went off of social media for Lent. I gave up social media for Lent in order to better connect with people. But now I'm back on social media in order to better connect with people. (laughs) Right, right, right. But it's, it's, it's very different to actually genuinely pursue connection. And sometimes we blame the media, the medium, right? Um, Right. And there are things about modern social medias that, 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 that are anti-community. Um, I I like highlighting that they are, it is a social network, not at a community network. Right. And sociality and community are not identical concepts. Right. Mm -hmm. There's in German, it's a Gemeinschaft and Gesellschaft and Gesellschaft would be society and uh, Gemeinschaft as community, which would, is what would translate koinonia in in Greek or Mm -hmm. communio in Latin over against societas. Um, And, so, I mean, there are things about social networking softwares that, that work against, but in point of fact, if you're actually seeking genuine community, um, right. the medias, the mediums are just, they're just mediums. You can, you can leverage them differently yeah. And, yeah. and many do. Um, and a lot of us are 
working at that a lot harder than we, than we were before. (laughs) Certainly found that the case. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good insight that, that God is not, but to to, to clearly articulate a kind of non-individualistic application of the insight that God is not contained. Right. Um, and yeah, you can even go through some of these because it's because of the nature of God. It's because, I mean, this would even be worth, you know, if, if we were to start with that, mm-hmm. I mean, you could almost see a sort of a slightly narrative sermon here that kind of starts with the, you know, that kind of spends the first half ish or so somewhat negatively on the uncontainability of God right. as initially a kind of good news. Wow. But then like, whoa, this means, you know, we don't have them. We're just groping, right? Yeah. That language of groping is really powerful. But then the kind of turn around and then ask the question, you know, well, then where is God? You know, right. uh, be- because you, you could, that's what you could do. You could, I'm, I'm th- you remember the Lowry loop, you know, the oops and the, uh, you know, like it gets kind of worse and then it gets better and a good, a good <laughs> sermon tends to have that flow, right? Whether it's on purpose or not, but you can almost kind of start with a kind of the initial tension could just be, that God is not, you know, contained in these temples as right. we have experienced or are experiencing, depending on when someone hears this and whether they use it or not with reference to the, the COVID-19 crisis. But then, but then descending that more say, ah, but okay, it's okay. We can just kind of have our own individual or kind of family worship or whatever. And it's like, ah, not actually. And then make the point you were making about how it's the community yeah. gathered is the new temple, not just my own hidden little Right. creation so then that kind of makes the problem worse and then the turnaround being you know the resurrection of jesus from the dead he he's establishing this new community right um and inviting yeah. us into and yeah. even in our scattering there's these new ways of connecting even in tiny pockets that are kind of yeah. living into this new this new community because mm-hmm. we come from all and we're headed all towards we, we come from one we all come from one and we're all headed to be judged by one. Right. So, and right. that one, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that clicks with you, but. Yeah. Well, the problem with containment in both cases in Stephen's speech and Paul's are they're they're erecting barriers hmm. in, in the case of the Sanhedrin and the temple authorities, the barrier is between Jews and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. You know, God is boxed into the temple. There's the court of the Gentiles only so far and not further. Can you come in? Uh, and, and then those walls are reinforced by circumcision, kosher diet, uh, Sabbath keeping, those sorts of things. So the problem is the barriers between peoples that result from putting God in a nice marble box. <laughs> Here, the problem is the barriers between gods. We're taking deity and ah, chopping it up, it up into yeah, Zeus and Ares and Aphrodite and so forth. And so the resurrection of Christ tears the temple curtain from top to ah. bottom. And it also demolishes the barriers between the various attributes of God that have been turned into little deities of their own. Oh, that's really, really good. And then the kind of... Yeah, so you have the the uniting in the mm-hmm. resurrection of Jesus. Death and resurrection of Jesus is the uniting of all peoples. Yeah. And 
the or the restoring of an awareness of the unity that was always already there. Yeah. And also the restoring of the unity of God that was always already there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause yeah. Oh man, that's, that's so good. That's well, so and to bring good. it into this may be helpful for a sermon or sermon illustration or something. N.T. Wright's book, uh, simply Christian uses three basic worldview models hmm. and he has uh, Paul here has been debating with the Stoic philosophers and the Epicurean philosophers. And so, yeah, no, it mentions right. He talks about how there are these two panels metaphorically of heaven and earth and the Stoics slid the two panels together into a form of pantheism. Right. God and the world are one. Well, that's too close. That's too eminent to view of God. The Epicureans slid the panels too far apart. The gods were up in heaven, partying, minding their own business. They don't have any concern about us. We're down below doing our own thing. And so the what the biblical worldview and what Paul presents is a sort of Goldilocks, yeah. just right, where God is not the same as the world. God is in- transcendent. Intersect- but intersecting, not but not identical. Yeah. yeah, but he's not far from any one of us. He's not contained. And so that's why we're only groping when we create our own things. And yet he is not far from anyone. And he calls us to repent and he's near. The word is with you. The word is near you. Don't go ask where it is far away. Deuteronomy again. It's it's in your mouth, in your ear. Right now it's in your heart. Bam. You can do it right now, which is the element of truth in the notion of you don't have to go off to a church to worship. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. And yet. And so a lot of parishioners, I think people naturally struggle with those, those options. How do I think about God and God's relationship to me, to the world, uh, to the problem of evil? Uh, And again, I've referred listeners, if you want just a quick overview of how this plays out in all sorts of areas uh, to read Simply Christian. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I, that could be a really good kind of teaching sermon that would use this text, right? A teaching style sermon that would kind of lay out these extremes and how, and, and again, it can connect up to the general experience of, of isn't God just ever, why, why? I mean, you, you could ask this any Sunday, yeah. if God is everywhere. Why go to church? Right. Well, or again, going but back to this. in our site, you know, right now going on, it would fit. Right. But yeah. I mean, even, even if someone's listening to this two years from now, I mean, you don't yeah. have to, you don't even need a, a quarantine crisis to right. raise this question. Right. It's a real living question. Yeah. That's just yeah. so obvious to us right now as we're recording this, but yeah. Well, and the pandemic raises the issue of the problem of evil. That is a perennial yeah. problem and that these three worldviews deal with in different ways. Yeah. Oh, you're right. So That's right. Are, is God just far off and unconcerned about evil? Is evil somehow a manifestation of, of God? If we yeah. collapse God in the world into one thing, or is God different enough from the world that God is not evil and yet God cares enough to confront, to deal with the problem of evil. Yeah, and is at work, uh, right. working against it. Yeah. Right. I think that's really good. I think that speaks to that. That's the deeper issue. You know, you can kind of, you can speak more generic. It's kind of actually, it's a nice kind of point is you can almost kind of, you could have a sermon that could initially be just kind of talking about how the imminence and transcendence of God 
means that we need one another in community, although we're, we're not somehow far from God when we're apart. Somehow those are both true. Uh, and then get into the deeper weeds of, but it also, this same perspective is then crucial for coping with the, the facts of, uh, of evil in a way that doesn't uh, undermine our faith right. at its core. I, that's a really good teaching sermon. I think that would be really excellent. I would, I would, uh, I think that's great, man. That's a good sermon starter. I'm jazzed. <laughs> I want to hear this sermon. Why don't you write it up, man? <laughs> Preach it into your Facebook live for everyone to enjoy. Well, I mean, fittingly uh, in the schedule, I was just looking the immediately previous week in the lectionary is the act seven, the Stephen speech. Okay. Yeah. So those connections will be for our listeners and for anyone who is using this series on acts through right. Easter. If anyone happens to be using this, that larger series, that, that connection will be a little easier to make because it's just right. back to back, you know, it's not back to back in the book, but um, yeah. those connections are very striking. And I, I appreciate you um, drawing our attention to them. Um, God does not where it's, <laughs> There he says, God does not dwell in human hands. Here it says, does not dwell in temples made with hands, plural temple. Mm-hmm. Um, neither is he served, and that verb can be used for the word that would be used in the context of the worship, right? Um, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, <laughs> since he himself gives to all life and breath. And all things, right? It all comes from God. Well, that's a beautiful passage, man. I've, I think I've experienced the, the beauty and the depth of this passage. And you, you mentioned earlier, maybe I should, this is introducing a random theme at the end, and, and maybe it'll be a wrench, but you talked about the fixing of boundaries between yeah. peoples and between the gods. And you almost see this kind of fixing of boundaries in space, that God's kind of breaking down. And there's two times, he uses a different verb each time, but there's two times when there's reference to times being fixed or appointed by God. It's almost as if God's like, all of the distinctions you're making between bodies and peoples and gods and temple, all that stuff's baloney, right? (laughs) The fixing fixing and determination that really matters is – the times, right? Um, although he does have it, he does. I missed the next line. The boundaries of their habitation, as if to say, God. If there have been distinctions between peoples, God has set them up, and so God can remove them, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And they each have their times, their time when they live, or the times of empires to come and go, and then the reiteration of that time at the end, thirty-one. And he is appointed a time when this yeah. story is coming to a close, but we already know the one who is going to be doing the judging. So this kind of reassertion of God's authority over the ways that we divide space and time, which again fits to our context right now uh, because we're having a whole new relationship to our own space and time uh, in the chaos and recognizing, you know, all of the cosmos that we've created, all the order and structure that we have of work and life and school and all, this is all just stuff made with human hands. It's not really ours. (laughs) It was all divine gift and it can all be removed and a different, and a different appoint a different appointment can be established, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. a time of repentance. What does it mean to change our mind, to turn our thinking around in a way that corresponds to the times and places that God has set rather than just our own? Yeah. Yeah. I just got and excited. That's my sermon. Right? What was that? 
There are echoes of the book of Daniel there, definitely, too. Daniel 2, God sets the the times of, of the nations and the empire. Yeah. And then Daniel 7, where it all culminates in divine judgment uh, by the Son of Man, one like a Son of Man. Right, and, this, and the, the, the statue with the different, these are each of the times of the, the different. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 I see that. Oh, that's good. Well, and the, and the Daniel connections with, with wisdom are striking. Yeah. Uh, Daniel was one of those borderline texts too, right. uh, in terms of the intertestamental uh, it, Protestant Bibles that are most uh, uh, Christian Bibles that group the major prophets together uh, kind of obscures the fact that like in, you know, in, the, in right. the Hebrew Bible, you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, mm-hmm. and the book of the 12. And then yep. Daniel's hanging out over Daniel and Lamentations are hanging out over with the Psalms and all the poetry. And right. <laughs> um, the fact that it was in Aramaic is probably what sealed its positive fate. Unlike wisdom was only in Greek. So it was pretty guaranteed that it wouldn't be treated as legit on the same level, but well, that was our, sorry for that little random historical fact to end a podcast on. Uh, but <clears throat> alas, this is why I prefer teaching and uh, podcasting because I'm just really bad at endings. Uh, and I've always, I sometimes like to joke that, you know, if there is a distinction between teaching and preaching, it's, uh, it's mostly that it's the <laughs> sermons have to land. <laughs> right. You, you got to stick the landing if you're preaching because it has some exhortative, <laughs> whereas uh, this is all just in teaching information for our listeners. And I hope that they've found it somewhat beneficial and, you know, hope you have found things that you can run with or explore for yourself. Um, Big thanks to you, Jerome, uh, for the time that you've given. Any last thoughts you wanted to slide in before we wrap up? Uh, not really. It's just, it's been a pleasure. Uh, awesome. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Jerome. Thanks for the, the time you've given. Thanks to Todd and Eric for all the production work they do. I can't imagine doing this uh, without them. Uh, if you go to the, uh, there's a link in the show notes if you want to donate to help. Uh, I don't, keep any of that. It's all just for Todd and Eric for all the time and work that they spend in site hosting and other things to do this. Uh, so much, much appreciation. And thanks to Tom for the uh, uh, theme music. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>